Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. I'm not going to keep you standing too much longer. It is a little bit of a lengthy reading. I apologize for its length, but Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 20. This is Moses writing, speaking here. He said, and I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. Look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. God had given the children of Israel a promise here. Don't fear, don't be discouraged. And every one of you came near to me and said, let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up, of the cities into which we shall come. And the plan pleased me well. So I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe, and they departed and went up into the mountains and came to the valley of Eshcol. Spied it out. They also took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought back word to us saying, It is a good land which the Lord our God is giving us. Nevertheless, you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you complained in your tents and said, Because the Lord hates us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to the heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. There's giants in the land. The sons of Anakim were the giants. Then I said to you, don't be terrified or afraid of them. So the, the Lord your God who goes before you, he will fight for you according to all he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carried his son in all the way that you went until you came to this place. Moses was saying, don't forget, the God that brought you to this point is the God that promised you that point. Yet for all that, you did not believe the Lord, your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents so to show you the way you should go. The fire by night and the cloud by day, and the Lord heard the sound of your word and was angry and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your father. I want to preach a message that I've entitled, and you'll understand the title a little bit later on the message. It may not make sense to you at this moment, but it will. Remove the lid. Remove the lid. Am I tired of being held down? Am I tired of feeling like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and that's that's all the furthest of going? Am I tired of that? Am I tired of being stifled by society and when we know we serve a God that wants to give us all things, then remove the lid. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. Thank you for standing so long. 
<clears throat> Been a long time since I've preached out of the book of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> read quite a lo- lengthy scripture text today, but in that text, I wanted to read that much because I wanted you to hear the account as told by Moses. This account took place when the children of Israel had exited out of 400 years of bondage by their captors. They'd been slaves, they'd been prisoners, they'd been hard at work, they'd done the work uh, of Egypt and uh, had been under their bondage for a long time. 400 years is a long time. America, we've been here maybe 250 some odd years, something like that, I can't, close to 250 years, I guess. And yet, we're still 150 years away from reaching that 400-year mark. That's a long time when you, most of us live to maybe 75, 80, 85 years old. There's occasions when we might live a, a little bit longer than that. But Moses was speaking here as his people are standing on the edge overlooking the promises of God. What a huge disappointment this must have been to go so far and to get so close and be turned away at the door. Now, it was just a few years ago, my wife and I, for the very first time, took a January vacation. We decided we were going to just cruise down and see what all the hype was about Gulf Shores. And we got down there for a few days and got into our place, and we started looking for things to do. And if you ever want to know the best things to do, just go out and mill around, uh, get yourself something to eat, go to the places that uh, not are maybe so much on all of the touristy uh, scenes, but but talk to the locals and find out where the locals eat and find out what the locals do. And so that's what we did. We were out doing a little shopping one day, and we began to ask the locals, so uh, what is there? What If you have to do one thing around here, what's the one thing that, that you would recommend that we go see? And, and without fail... I believe every single person we asked told us about the Naval Aviation Museum over in Pensacola, which was just not too far away, maybe 20, 25 minutes away. We had driven 10 and a half, 11 hours on a Sunday night, spent uh, the night, and then got up and drove the rest away. So, you know, 10, 10 and a half hours, that's a pretty good cruise uh, down to get to the ocean. But uh, we had made our trek down there, and we wanted to see what, what everybody said we needed to see. and so. We decided that that's what we wanted to do. I've always had a great respect for our, our United States military. I thought that would be cool uh, to go see this a- aviation museum. My, my dad was a, a small airplane pilot as I was growing up, and so we did quite a bit of flying in, in these little small single-engine planes, and I'd always had a fascination. And my kids even know that if you want to get me something, you don't know what to get me, buy me something that flies. I, I like anything that that flies. I, I'm I'm the 54 year old guy that's got that little helicopter cruising around, uh, you know, the living room and and flying it around. I even like those little things that are, are propelled on a stick that you spin in your hand and fly up in the air. I just have one recommendation: don't do it under your nose. It's liable to take your nose off. Be very careful with that. So we decided we were going to check this out, this aviation museum, and we got up one morning, drove over there to it, and follow the signs, everything pointed to the direction, got up to the base. I'm familiar with going on base because of uh, my secular job and some of the 
times I had to go over here to Scott Air Force Base uh, many, many times through the years that I've gone on base there for different reasons, delivering, whatever. And, and so I understood what it took. You get up there, and there's a, a guard shack, and there's a man standing at the, at the guard shack, and the signs that pointed the way that this is the way to get into the Naval Aviation Museum. And so we pulled up there, and, and uh, I was very disappointed because the nice guard at the gate politely told us that he would not allow us access because of an incident that had taken place on the base a couple of weeks prior. There had been a shooting or something crazy had gone on. Somebody got on base and, and created quite an incident, and so they had shut everything down. We really wanted to go see that really wanted in there. Everybody told us how awesome this place was. And so I probed for in, info because I think our second day there, and I said, well, do you know how long this is going to be? You know, we're going to be in town for a few days, and maybe we could come back. Is it going to be over tomorrow? And, you know, uh, he, he said, I really don't know. I don't have that information. I can't really tell you. Uh, no answer from him. I was trying to figure out a plan. We we had driven all this way, and I wanted to see this, and we might not be back for a long time, if ever. I did my best, but if you've ever tried to get on base and you've seen those guys that stand there at the guard shack, you'll notice they've got a little something on their hip and something strapped across their shoulders. I couldn't argue with that. He was armed to the hilt. And even though there was a smile on his face, there was a gun on his waist. I knew that if I made that smile disappear, I might be staring down his barrel of his gun. So still, I, I, I was wondering, is there any way we'd come so far just to be turned away right there at the, at the entrance to the base? And what made it even worse was that we were so close, you could almost see where it was at from, from the gate. We, we had come so far. Literally, we had to drive 50 foot onto the base to make a U-turn. We had cars backed up behind us. They were probably getting a little aggravated because I was trying to figure out, you know, if there's something that we could do and, and uh, asking a few questions. And so finally, he told us, he said, no, you can't get on. Go up here and make a U-turn. And so me and my wife, we, we drove up and uh, I, I was thinking in my mind, should we pull a Bonnie and Clyde here, you know, and just take off and make a run for it and see if we can spot this? But I thought that, that may not be the wisest decision that I had ever made in my 50 years on this planet. So we turned around as we were instructed do, to do, and we drove away disappointed but alive. Now, the thing about being turned away so close is, I have ever since that time, four, about four or five years ago, it's made me even want to see the Naval Aviation Museum even more. There's something about being turned away so close that made me want to see it that much more. I keep checking. I even checked this morning to see if it was opened up in case we decided to go down there sometime. And, uh, and it's still, you have to have a, 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 a military ID to get on the base to go see that Naval Aviation Museum. And uh, I, I was at a, a small uh, little conference, a leadership conference a few months ago, and they had a special speaker, uh, Brother Kinsey, who actually pastors in Pensacola. And so I thought, well, I wonder. I, I just wondered. I, I, I began to pick his brain a little bit. I said, you know, a few years ago we were down there and we tried to get in. And he said, yeah, you still can't get in. He said, but, he said, 
my my son-in-law is a Marine, he said, and if you ever get down there, he said, give me a call. He said, maybe I can have my son-in-law come out there and get you on the base. I'm like, cha-ching. I'm going to start dropping names. I never have forgot how disappointing it was to look at something and not be able to actually walk on to its property. And I have to wonder if in some small way I was feeling to a small degree what the Israelites felt on that day. When they're literally standing on the edge of the promise, they're literally looking down into the land that God has promised them that they would raise their children in and their grandchildren in, and it was a a wonderful place. They're literally looking at it, and for a little while they're thinking, oh, this may not be the best time, but God said go ahead. But when they refused to go, God said, okay, if that's the case, then none of you are ever going to get to go, not until this generation dies off. Standing on the border, looking at what God had promised but being refused entry. What was the problem? Was it God that had fallen short on their way out of bondage? I don't think we can blame God. If you think about it, God uh, God took a man, Moses, planted him in the bulrushes. He was raised in the, in the house of the Egyptians, and so he understood leadership. He had a different mentality than his people had. He didn't have a slave mentality. He had a mentality of leadership and royalty. And so even though he never disconnected from his people, he had a different mindset. He didn't have the, the mindset of a person that was raised in bondage. He had a mindset of a, a free person that, that called the shots. But when he stood up for his people, things got ugly very quickly. And so he ran, and God took those years that he was away to formulate him and and mold him and make him to where he could become the man that he could send back to get his people out of bondage. Moses finally decides that he would obey God. And he goes back, talks to Pharaoh. He's trusting that God will back him up. So we cannot blame God. When you look at the story of the exodus of God's people out of Egyptian bondage, there is no way we can look at this and say, God fell short here. God didn't follow through with his promises because if you look at it, God sent all those plagues, plagues, even though Pharaoh said that he was not going to allow them to leave God twisted his arm to the point where finally he said, just get out. Move, go, do what you want, but leave this place. We can't take any more of this. But then he changed his mind again. After they left, they go out and they're standing before the Red Sea, and here comes the enemies behind them, going to take them back, and the people start murmuring and complaining, even after all the miracles that God had sent to release them, they still refused to believe that God could keep them. All of a sudden, God says, you know, God's got a, 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 a beautiful way of making some great moves and doing a bunch of stuff all at once. My father-in-law, my wife, she bought a, a checker board, 
and she set it out on the table. My father-in-law and mother-in-law were over the other night for one of the grandkids' birthday, and we sat down and began to play checkers. I got this. I got this. I, I can handle. I can handle him. I began to move, and for a little while, I was, I was beating him. Then I made this bonehead move, and he capitalized on it. You know that sick feeling you get in your stomach when you see that light show in their eyes, like, got him now. And he goes, doom, doom, doom. And just like that, wiped me out. The game was over in one move. It was over. Here they are standing on the border thinking God has forgotten him, and God said, no, I'm playing the greatest checkerboard move that you've ever seen in your life. I am not only going to release you to freedom, but I am going to destroy your captors and your enemies all in one failed swoop. Boom, boom, boom. You're free, and they're dead. Sometimes we... Forget that God thinks higher than we do, and his ways are higher than our ways. And sometimes God will allow us to get into a position or into a situation where we wonder, God, do you even know where I'm at? Do you even care what's about ready to happen to me? God says, not only do I care, but I have brought you to this place in order to show you my power and my love for you. Plagues. Red Sea parted. They got all the way to the edge of the promise by God's provision, and then a decision was made to check out the land. And Moses said, This is a great idea. God says, This is a good idea. Go ahead. Have you ever had something so great that you couldn't wait to show somebody because you just know they're they're gonna love it? I remember a, a Christmas. I stayed up, and I worked so many hours. I stayed up late, and I put these little four-wheeler. We spent big money that year for a couple of poor kids with, with three kids uh, to, to raise. We, we bought all three of our kids these little electric four-wheelers, you know, and we're not going to make them share one. We're going we're gonna to go all out, you know. We're going to have all three of uh, these, these little four-wheelers, and so we got those little four-wheelers. I, I set out in the cold in the shed and, and put them all together because so, I didn't want them to see it at all, and, and we set up the surprise, and, and when finally that morning came and we rolled those things out, those kids were more interested in the box that that four-wheeler came in than they were with the actual four-wheeler. Still bitter. If I could have taken those things back and got my money back for them, I think I would have. Don't appreciate anything that I do for you. I worked so hard. Nearly got frostbite putting those things together. God says, go ahead, check it out. I'm the same God that released you. I'm the same God that parted the Red Sea. I'm the same God that fed you and clothed you and done all these things. I am that same God, so I brought you here. I really think that Moses expected them to come back with so much excitement, like, I can't wait. You ought to see it. They got roller coasters and Ferris wheels, and they got petting zoos, and they got everything there that we've ever dreamed of. Everything. But he got the shock of his life. When 10 of the 12 come back and say, Mm-mm. not today, not today, not, not here, not now. 
Too soon. Some things got to change. There's giants in the land. Oh, everything that God promised us, it's there. The grapes, the milk, the honey, all those things. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's not, well, it's not the land that we have a problem with. It's what we have to overcome to get the land. You see, their mindset, they're still thinking like slaves. They're not thinking like rulers. They're not thinking like royalty. They're not thinking like owners. They're looking at themselves as property. I believe that God was excited for them to see what he wanted them to have, but they came to a conclusion that when Moses wrote about it, that God called evil. Why did he call it evil? That's a little harsh. They're like, hmm. No, it's not harsh because God had brought them all the way to the brink and they were going to stand there on the brink and then doubt that God could get them the last mile of the way. It's everything that God said it would be, but there's giants in the land. And with one bad decision, after everything that God had done to get them where they were, they doomed an entire generation to a wilderness existence when they could have been raising their children in a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, this isn't just about us. The faith that we have in this service, it's not just about us. It's not just about us that are 50, 60, 70, 80 years old and above, you know, getting another day through till God can call us home. No, it's not just about us uh, uh, preaching and praying with people. It's not just about miracles that we can receive. This is about our children that are watching what's taking place. This is about raising the next generation of people with faith instead of doubt. This is about raising the next generation of people to have a mentality that God, the same God that we serve, can meet their needs just as well. This is about teaching them and letting them grow up in a place where God can do anything in their minds. Why, after everything they had seen God do, why did they choke at the very end and have to live a substandard life instead of the life that God wanted them to have? Standing looking at the promise, but not being able to enter in. Two things I want to bring your attention to. The first thing is they focused on the obstacle instead of the promise. Whatever you look at is magnified in your mind. What do you think David said, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. There's something about exalting God that magnifies him in our mind and in our spirit. But we get focused on the, the obstacle. We get focused, you know, right now, that I, I'm preaching to me right now because I, I'm looking at a building project and I'm looking at, at bank accounts and I'm looking at monies that are flowing in and I'm looking at cost rising and I'm looking at all these things. But all of a sudden, I heard something on the news yesterday about they were spending so many trillions of dollars on something, I thought, 
wait a second, if they can do that for something that is not even godly and spend all that kind of money, there's money out there, and all it's going to take is for God to just make one heart, change one person's mind, call it upon one person to change everything, and in a moment's time, so excuse me if I don't just stand here on the border looking in, but I plan on God fulfilling his promise. He's told us what he's going to do. I'm going to believe in it. I'm going to stand upon it, and one day we're going to walk in. Cannot focus on the obstacle. We've got to stay focused on the promise. There's going to be giants. There were giants then. There are giants today. But by this point, you would think that these people would have an understanding that the God that they served and the God that they followed, when he made a promise, he stood good for them. You would think. I think God must get weary of us always having to prove, I think God must get weary of always having to prove himself to a people that can only remember as far back as their last problem instead of the last miracle. They focused on garlic, onions. You brought us out here to die. They focused on death, not miracles. They didn't, they didn't talk about, oh, what God did to get you here and what God did to get you here, God can do to keep you moving forward. They focused on something as pitiful as garlic and onions. Now, I like garlic and onions. There's nothing wrong with that, but if that's all I got to look forward to the rest of my life, that's pretty sad. I like them as a garnishment, not a main, main course. I like them as a seasoning. Let your problems, don't let your obstacles, don't let your giants become what you focus on. Hear me today, there's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be giants, but your giants are no match for your God. If God says it, you can stand upon it, you can believe it, it's going to happen if you don't fall short in faith when he gets you to the border of fulfilling his promise. The only thing that can keep you out of God's promise for your life is you. And I'm going to say that one more time because somebody needs to hear that. It's not God stopping and not fulfilling his promise to you. It's you stopping short of walking in faith and taking the land that God has promised you conquering the giants that are standing between you and God's promise for you. The second thing is they were still thinking like the generation of captives who raised them. Some music comes today. There is such a thing as generational curses, I believe. Some of those things can be handed down. I, I believe that. But oftentimes I think we blame, we blame actions that are not godly on a generational curse when sometimes it's more of an environment.
There's also a thing called learned behavior. Some learned behavior can be good, but some can be very destructive depending on what your environment is. The environment I grew up in wasn't perfect. Thank God there was more right than there was wrong. And I chose to learn not only from people that taught me what to do, but I, I also tried to decipher and come to an understanding when somebody made a mistake that I might not want to do that if I want to be successful. Your mistakes don't define you when you learn from your mistakes. You can make mistakes and survive. It's when you repeat the same mistake over and over again that you're doomed. Oh, tomorrow I'll change this. Tomorrow I won't do that anymore. No, today. Today. And yes, you may fall flat on your face and you may fail. And there may be some things that you might have to deal with for the rest of your life, but they do not have to destroy you. Morgan talked us into bringing a stray cat into the house. She was always dragging something home. Dad, can we keep him? We're living in Highland at the time. We had two dogs. What did we need with a cat? We were living in town. I had to put up a, a, a fence. I had to put up a fence around the yard because we had lived out in the country, but we'd sold that house and moved into town. So our dogs, I know they drove the neighbors crazy because they barked at everybody that walked by. And if you've ever been to Highland, you will know that that is the walkingest town you've ever set foot in. I, people walked all time to day and night. Sidewalks everywhere. Nice town. People and you could always tell when somebody's walking past our house because the dogs, they caught them over here and they'd bark all the way around this and the house was right here and they'd come down this side and they'd, they'd bark at them all the way down this, this sidewalk. I said, can we keep him, Dad? He doesn't have a collar. Nobody's claimed him. What are we going to do with the cat? I don't want pets in, in my house. I don't. How do you tell a little four-year-old, blonde-haired, blue-eyed kid with the sweetest, she was sweet and sassy all wrapped up in one. I mean, it was, finally, they broke me down. I think they broke you down before they broke me down. You got on their side, and I can't say no to, to the both of them. They gang up on me like that. So I said, all right, we'll keep him. We can keep him. But I'm going to name him. I named him Pete just to aggravate him. My wife said, who names a cat Pete? I said, I do. That cat annoyed me. I'd be asleep in the morning. Next thing I knew, I was screaming, jumping up out of bed because that cat would climb up on our bed and bite my toes. If it was up to me. I would have hung that cat by one of these ceiling fans until he got so dizzy he decided to leave our house. And I put up with it. I put up with him jumping up on the screen, on the screen door, and hanging there by his claws until he ripped holes in the screen. I put up with it. But there was one thing that that cat did that got him removed from the Rice family household. That was the day that he brought fleas into our house. You remember that? Yeah, you better believe you remember that. Who was right? That's just what I want to know. Who was right about the cat? You know how I found out about the fleas? 
we had this old, old basement. Our house was, it's over 100, probably 110 years old now. It was an old, old house with an old-style basement down underneath it with a, a garden, a little thing for laying your garden vegetables out and just you know, water ran through like, like you know, the Nile uh, when it rained. And, I mean, but it all ran right into a little little uh, drain area there, and so you just had to step over the little lake and the little rivers that ran through our basement. I was down there one day getting some out of the dryer, and the next thing I knew, I was like, ow. I looked down, and I had these little black dots all over my legs, all the way up to my hips. Those little black dots, I found out, were fleas. Man, I, I looked like a cross between Jerry Lewis and, and a ninja trying to get those things off me. You know, I was... Did you know that a flea can jump straight up? You can barely see a flea. But that little flea can jump three foot in the air, straight up, three foot in the air. It has the ability to jump three foot, which is probably like you jumping halfway the moon. If you're to multiply its size by how far it can jump and your size by how far you'd be able to jump if you were a flea. You could jump out of the atmosphere more than likely. The ability is there for that tiny little bug to jump three foot straight up in the air. But if you'll take that flea and you'll put it into a jar, and here comes the title of my message. I'm going to explain it to you. You'll put that little flea in a jar, and you'll put a lid on that jar. That flea will jump, expecting to go three foot in the air, but it'll hit the lid of that jar. And you give it a little bit of time, that flea will, it will eventually stop jumping and trying to jump three foot. It will only jump as high as almost to the lid because it gets tired of banging its head on the lid of that jar. That flea will change according to its environment. He adapts. The thing about it is that flea, they can put some fleas in that jar all together and keep them alive, and they can have baby fleas. Everybody say gross. Baby fleas. And those baby fleas are born with the same ability to jump three foot in the air. But due to their environment and the training and watching what their parents do, they never jump higher than the lid of that jar. They learn to jump. They learn where the ceiling is at. And they only jump just a few inches when they have the ability to jump well out of that jar should the lid ever come off. Would you stand with me today? I'm telling you that story today because some of you are living in an environment that is not conducive for you to get where God wants you to jump to. God sees you in a different place than the confined area that you are presently living in.
So the lid has to come off. And we've got to think differently than maybe we've been trained and taught to think. You and I both know that this world will try to tell us that God is dead. There's so many people out there that have so many different beliefs and they'll say, oh, that's a thing of the past. That, that was for Bible days. Those things don't happen anymore. But that's just somebody that's living in an environment that somebody has put the lid on. They have learned what to do, but I'm willing to keep bouncing my head off the ceiling in hopes that one day I'll jump and that lid will be nowhere to be seen. I need somebody to help me believe that right now. You've come into this place today and you feel like you've only got so far to go. I'm telling you, that is a lie, that you have potential in God. I'm even talking about to these young boys up here, these young, these young girls and our, our teenagers. There's, some of you are getting ready to, to go off and, and into college, and, and you're getting ready to start a, a life kind of on your own and become a little more independent. Some of you are still living at home and have years for that. Some of you are grown and you're older and you're settled into your lifestyle, and you've just been told that this is all it's ever going to be, and so you've decided, I've just got to be satisfied with where I am right now when God is saying no. I've called you to greater things. I've called this church to bigger things. I can still do miracles in your midst. I still have people that need to be saved. I want this church to be a church that doesn't put a lid on its limitations. I want us to be a church that believes that when we pray, God moves. I don't want us to get satisfied with where we are. I feel like that's all we're ever going to be when God has called his last day church to be something incredible. And you're a part of that. I wonder today, I, I, you know, I didn't, quite honestly, I didn't have an end to this message today. Time ran out, we had to get to church, and I just, I just shut her off and thought I'll study a little bit more when I get to church and take a few minutes, but that didn't happen either. So I, I didn't really know how this would end. But I've come to tell you it doesn't have to end like the world tells you it's going to end. I want them to begin singing. I'm going to open this altar up. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.